What's good, everyone? Welcome to the African Americans in Sport podcast, a unique podcasting format where each episode is a lesson and each season is a semester where we detail the diverse experiences of African Americans in sport. In today's class, we feature a conversation from the spring of 2021 about activism in professional sports between Dr. Alvin Logan Jr. and Jacquez McClendon, Director of Player Engagement for the Los Angeles Rams. So greetings, everybody. Dr. Alvin Logan Jr. here with, we're here with another great guest. I will give a chance to introduce himself in a second. Good Brother McClendon, if you would introduce yourself and then we'll jump into content for the day. What's up, everybody, man? Great to be here with y'all today. My name is Jacques McClendon. I'm with the Los Angeles Rams, former NFL player, and just happy to be here with y'all, have this conversation and continue to move forward and push the needle forward as we continue to go down this road as a, as a country and as a world. Wonderful. So you, you said an interesting piece there. You said you worked for the Los Angeles Rams. If you can give us a little bit more background into your your career. How did you get to the Rams? How did did you participate in sport previously? So I was a seven-year ex-NFL player, played football at the University of Tennessee. From there, I went on to play in the NFL. And upon retirement, was able to come get a job in Los Angeles. And, um, you know, it's really a unique opportunity to work with a forward-thinking organization that is always trying to find ways to be innovative whether it be on the field or off the field, because we have impactful leaders that are always trying to be, always trying to be top of the line in, in terms of how we do things, what our processes are, and how we onboard just you know very dynamic people into this organization. It's it's a great environment to be in because we do have a lot of autonomy, and and they do empower us to always push the needle and and, and change. And you know when you got opportunities like that, it allows you to be able to you know construct things and do things that you may not get to do in other places. So I'm. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be a Ram because it has truly afforded me a lot of growth. You talked about being at a number of different stages, University of Tennessee, teams you played for in the NFL, and now at the Los Angeles Rams. Throughout all of that, I imagine that you've garnered a pretty significant definition of activism, especially within sport. Could you tell us what that definition is? So I'll just keep it at its simplest form to me, right? I feel like when you, when you hear the word activism, the first word you think about is active. So I think it's just consistently being active in, in um, causes and things that you're very much interested in and promoting, changing and, and, and moving that needle in, in those in those domains. So, you know, that's that, that's how I see it. And when was your first engagement with activism within sport? You go back to college and just the ability to I, I guess this would be more you know low hanging fruit than high hanging fruit. Just the ability to, you know, you're a kid from a single parent household didn't come from much, don't have much money, and the ability to go work with Habitat for Humanity, the Boys and Girls Club, and be able to give back and see kids that are sitting in that same seat that you that you sat in, and to where you're a full scholarship kid now, you're, you're you graduated, and you're hoping that you're able to do do good in that opportunity, so somebody else down the road could do the same. That's probably about the age. Let's go 21, 22, when you're starting to have the perspective of how unforgiving this world can be it's be sometimes in that we definitely have to make use especially as black males and females of our sport platform because it's not always i tell people to this day without football i don't know where i would be couldn't afford college provided me educational opportunities people wanted to do extra things for you just because you were good at football so you know, probably about that age is where you really started, you know, that was the, let's call that entry level course. And like I said, I know that's not the hardcore high hanging fruit, but for me, just to have that perspective of looking at that 10, 11 year old. And guess what? It used to be me. 
and the trajectory of their life is going to be predicated on how people like me and other black females and males go about their business so they can get that opportunity next. So I feel like it's a, uh, it's a heavy burden that lies on our back, but I carry it with joy because I know that the opportunities afforded for me now are completely different than the people that came before me 20, 10, 30, 40, whatever, how many years ago. And we can continue to break these barriers, but we all have to do right. And the leash is shorter. So just making sure that uh, we're staying on top of our P's and Q's, but I'll go back to college is the first time I really started to think in depth on a subject. You touched on some really great pieces there. You talked about paying it forward, basically creating opportunity because you have an opportunity for the folks that are going to come behind you. And I think that's, that's a beautiful way of thinking about it, limiting the amount of plight and oppression that's pressed upon them to continue to explore their gifts, especially as young student athletes, young black men and women in this country, you know, given the history and everything that swirls around it. You also said another interesting piece within your bit about your engagement with activism. You said around 21, 22, that'll make you what, a junior or senior in college? First had to, do you think your your education at that point, being able to take collegiate classes, really coming into your own as a young man, what do you think that the swirls around your engagement in activism, for example, your, your life experiences, schooling, mentors, how do you think they impacted and those experiences impacted your entrance into engagement with activism? Absolutely. You definitely see it as a coming of age. Like as you get older, you know, I always... Remember the old heads used to tell me, you know, the, the, the wiser they are, the older as they get, you just like, ah, whatever. And then as you get older, you, you see what they mean. You're able to ingest stuff. You're able to see stuff. You're able to have a different perspective and knowledge of how to act in, in certain situations. So, yeah, I definitely see that. Let's call it, you know, you start to become a little bit of a grown man when you hit that 21, 22, 23. And you got your own bills. You're really out on your own. You're trying to figure out life for yourself. And so I would say for me, there was a bunch of role models that definitely some influence on how I saw the world as well. So when you get to college, you're in a locker room full of mostly African-American males in my situation in college. And you're able to see that you all come from such different backgrounds. I was from a highly affluent area. I went to the big, expensive private school, was able to get these resources that most people that look like me don't get. And I'm in the same locker room with people from more marginalized situations, underrepresented resources in terms of what they saw through their middle high school experience. So I come from, I'm not middle-class America, but because of where I lived, I got to experience and see how the middle to high class lived just by association. You know, just being able to grasp that because I was in this economical bubble, you know, my mother didn't make anything, but I had a lot of friends that the parents did well. I went to a to a high school that cost $40,000 a year. So you all know what comes with that. You just get the reciprocal effect of what that environment is like and how you're just able to literally just because of a situation become better because you get insight to things that you don't get in books. And so just being in the locker room and being able to see that the situation you came from is completely different than the situation another black male came from. You know, as you look at this world and this country, how there is so much divide in society predicated on your zip code, predicated on where you went to school, predicated on where your parents work. It's, it's, there's no equity across the board. At that age, you probably start to figure out that, wow, you really set up for success and you could have easily not been. What are you doing with your platform to make sure other people that look like you, other minorities are having, are going to be able to have those platforms as well, because it's just not uniform across our country yet. Ooh, 
spitting fire. I see. That's a, uh, and you, you said a lot there. And I hope everybody that this hearing is able to take that in talking about that experience of the 21, 22, 23 year olds and the piece of your situation to where it catalyzed your involvement within activism. I do want to ask you one more follow up at that point of 21, 22, 23. How was your relationship with your teammates? Were they also on the path of enlightenment to join social justice or, or activist movements? Or was it kind of you were alone, you know, a, a lone individual in it? How was that experience? Yeah, and I'll say this, right? I, I'm I'm in a way different space with it now than I was at 21, 22. I definitely wasn't fully submerged. And I don't think a lot of us were just because of how, how it was positioned. Gotcha. The ability to speak in 2021 is completely different than the ability to speak in 2007, 2008. I do think we were there. I was there, but I'm not going to act like I was, you know, leading the charge and doing everything I should have been doing at that age to make it a better place. That's a tough question to answer, but I do. But, but what I am glad for is that the platform for athletes to speak now in 2021 is a much better place than it was when I was in college. Absolutely. Like I said, we're going to shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about your your experience with the Rams. So first question, what type of adjustments occur by the Los Angeles Rams coaching staff to address social injustices and racial inequity in America? Um, You know what? The biggest thing we did was just listen. And, you know, this is where I really had to give credit to my superiors, my head coach, my general manager, my president, who are all Caucasian males. And also, you know, they, they live they live in a place to where our locker room is, is very much a minority. They provided outlets for people to be heard. And I think at the end of the day, that's the first thing you got to do is be able to take the information, but not only take the information, give the platform to people to feel like they're being heard and they're being heard the right way. So, you know, when let's call it when George Floyd happened, Coach McVay canceled practice. And we had a couple of hours, two or three hour Zoom session with the entire team because obviously we're in COVID. You know, it was really just a, a town hall that we met and we talked and we were vulnerable. And I just think that just providing that platform just knows that, that people care. Yeah. People care about your feelings. And I am just, just like I said earlier, proud to be around because they've always provided that opportunity. And I think that, you know, when you talk about adjustments, it's, wow, we're doing it, but are we doing it enough? And you, you could tell we intentionally did a, a great job throughout the year, making sure that the players and the staff and, you know, our, all our employees had those outlets to be able to be heard because the, the sense of belonging that I have with being a Ram, I feel like is just like what everybody has. And I think that when you are provided those opportunities to be heard and not only be heard, you're seeing action put in place on things that, that you talked about. It definitely provides a path forward. So dynamic leaders lead through dynamic times. And we have that. Here. How do you think the team reacted to it? I think it was a start. Definitely wasn't a finish. But I do think that guys were able to be like, wow, they do care what I need, want to say. They do care how I think it was an unbelievable start to a to definitely a long trying year that we all went through. And, you know, put COVID on top of that, put not being able to see family members on top of that, not traveling. And, and like it was just a very tense year. And I think that hopefully, you know, when we all look back at 2020, it was the time that the needle changed. And I think that our guys were just happy that football was a platform that was able to be used to push forward. It was very positive. Um, that's, that's actually, it's encouraging. 
it's encouraging to hear from, you know, firsthand how impactful it was for the team. You know, as most folks, as we just gaze from the outside looking in, we make assumptions like, oh, that, that was a great experience. Everybody loved it. Or, oh, well, you know, I don't know. It, it may have seemed performative. But to hear firsthand that it, that it was impactful, especially for the athletes and knowing that many of them are black males, it's it, it warms my heart, to say the least. Second question I got for you is a little larger. OK, we're talking about NFL as a whole. How do you foresee the NFL handling protests and possible social demands from professional athletes moving forward? You know what? That's, that's evolving, right? And I think we we got to give the NFL credit with how they handled 2020. Yeah. And I think that's going to – I think it's a positive sign going forward. And I think that they listened to players. They gave the platform. And I think as they continue to intake and listen, they will continue to go down a path that's, uh, you know – Equitable for all parties, so I'm 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 very optimistic with with where it's going and how it went in 2020. It's a far cry from where it has been, and and kudos to Commissioner Goodell, Troy Vincent at the league office for you know picking it up and picking up the phone and listening and being able to get the feedback and do things that show that they are listening. So very optimistic with with what the NFL has has done and will do. You know, I I have to ask this one. What do, what do you think they're going to do about Colin and the cries of hypocrisy? You know what? That's a great question. And I think that what I would do to anybody who's listening to this uh, podcast is go back to Commissioner Goodell's interview with Emmanuel Acho on this particular subject. And you're going to get a lot of answers in that interview. And he was very vulnerable, outright, and very um, out front with how that situation went and 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 how it should have went. So my, once again, I, mean, I got to give kudos to, to Commissioner Goodell for putting himself out there. So I definitely would with anybody that wants the answer to that question, go look at the interview. It was it was very telling. You heard everybody check the interview out. Roger Goodell and Emmanuel Acho. It's what what is Emmanuel Acho's talk show called? Uncomfortable conversations with a black man. Uh, so check that out if. if what are some of the projects you're working on with the Knight Commission of Intercollegiate Athletics to bring change toward racial equity in college sports and the NFL? So I'm on the racial equity task force for the Knight, uh, for the Knight Commission. And, you know, we're working on some things right now that we're trying to bring tangible change into the collegiate space. I'm, I'm obviously I'm, I'm a uh, co-vice chair, so I'm not the, uh, the head honcho. So Lynn Elmore would be the one and Amy would be the one to have to really you know, talk about the intricate details of what that will entail. But we're definitely feeling good about where we're at right now and super excited about what's to come. But definitely some good things coming. And it's nice to be working with some individuals that have that are, that are very uh, passionate about the space. And, you know, between Lynn, Shantiana and myself, very great dialogue and some, and some great things that we're uh, looking rolling out. In, a, in a, a perfect world, perfect Jacquez, what do you think or how would you have things go moving forward in terms of activism and the way that athletes are able to express their activism? You know, that's a tough one. But what I what I would envision it as is, is guys and girls, you know, are putting themselves in situation situations that they feel hurt and that they feel like, you know, the things they're passionate about are being given the time and opportunity and platform that that, that it deserves, you know. When I think of activism, the first league I think about is the WNBA. What those women did and what they have done and continue to do to lead through tough times, they they truly carried the torch. 
and have done an unbelievable job. So I think that when, when I think about activism in sports, you know, those are some of the, the key people I would think about to uh, look at as, as, as case studies, best practices for people who truly have been trying to completely change the narrative and, and really doing it in a passionate way. As we know throughout history, civil progress, especially for the African-American and Black communities, women have been an instrumental part of every single step. But obviously, patriarchy within civil movements and just within the world as a whole have prevented a lot of the foregrounding of, of women being involved. How do you see athletes like those that they're playing at WBA and women like Serena Williams, Miss Osaka, how do you see them pushing forward and pioneering different ways to to continue to create resistance to oppression for the communities and to continue furthering social justice? I mean, just like just like they have been, I felt like they've used their visibility. They've used their creativity. And most importantly, they've used their passion. When I look at the WNBA, they've been united in message. They, the powers in the collective. They've all been willing to get together and, and have the same message and their power and strength in numbers. When you look at Serena, when you look at Naomi, right, you're talking about two two global athletes who have unbelievable followings and rapport. And they've been willing to use that platform while at the same time compete at the highest level and keep their priorities of being great and also being an instrument for change. And so you got to be willing to do both. And it's not easy. So I think when you look at those those wonderful women and, and what they're doing, it's it, it's very encouraging because they're using their platform accordingly to, to their passion and, and aligning with their thoughts. So it's been uh, it's been great to watch. Great to watch. You mentioned another interesting piece. You, know, you said, like in conjunction, they're doing things together. And throughout history, we've seen a lot of different black movements that have had warring figures, if you will, right? Warring ideals as it comes to how to express dissent, um, what's happening in the United States, especially within the sporting arena. And I'm, I'm thinking specifically to Malcolm Jenkins, right? And his difference that he had with some of the folks in the NFL, at least from the outside looking in, in the approach to expressing dissent. How do you see that the, the unification of athletes as a whole and pushing for, for demands as, as a unified body, do you see that being something feasible or is it, do you feel like it's always going to be folks that want to express things differently, therefore you don't have unity across maybe a league like the NFL? That's, that's a great, that's a great um, question. And I think that, you know, that's TBD. Um, that's, that's, that's neither here nor there right now. But I do think that the power of these phones and social media and being able to blast out information instantaneously on the moment right now has given athletes the platform to have a different narrative than they maybe had just 10 years ago when social media wasn't as prevalent. You know, the things that have happened is these guys do get aligned and they do push it out on their own on, on their own platforms and, and they do follow up. So they do have the power because they have the following and the backing of of, of feedback and media that's instantaneous and can be uh, digested on the second. And so I think that that's a powerful tool that we've obviously seen the guys use and the, and, and the women use that has probably changed the game, especially from a PR standpoint. So I think being strategic with how you message, with how, with, with how you activate is, is definitely going to be something as they strategize and go forward is going to be very paramount. How involved do you think the NFL Players Association is with or acting as a unified base for 
NFL athletes. The NFL and NFLPA actually came out with a co-branded shirt that the guys wore pregame. And, you know, it was really, once again, like I said, I'm very encouraged and optimistic to see two sides that are usually going over a collective bargaining agreement, get on the same page and be, be one for humanity. So I think this is not a message of, of division. This is a, me- a message of unity. And so to see those co-branded T-shirts and, and the PA and the NFL support the guys, I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, great, it's a great path forward. And we just got to continue to build on that. So, you know, just as I said earlier, man, you got to be very optimistic with what happened and what can happen. Given the, the recent events in Atlanta, and the national call to stop Asian hate, do you think it's the NFL's place to also broadcast messages that are beyond just the African-American community, but to talk about activism against any type of hate, including domestic violence, as the NFL has been very boisterous about? That's another wide-ranging question that I can't speak on behalf of Park Ave, but I can speak on behalf of the Rams and what we have done here. And Taylor Rapp, who is a... Uh, Washington and, and UW, UW uh, football player um, is of the AAPI community and has done an unbelievable job using his platform to show that he is willing to do whatever it takes to continue to move the needle forward. And we actually put out an organizational message on that. And our our head of social media is also of the AAPI community. And we have a bunch of people in our organization in the AAPI community. And so we definitely have put our foot in the water, but you know, that's, that's going to be all predicated on what your leadership believes because uh, there is a lot of things that go into decision-making. And, you know, once again, I can only speak for the Rams and I know that we do an unbelievable job here and it would be, uh, it, it, it would not be right for me to speak on other organizations and how they do things. Thank you for mentioning the, the impact on the Rams, right? And Stop Asian Haters is a very big call that it this is happening. White supremacy stretches across a lot of different places in the United States and globally. So it's not only the African-American community that's being impacted, but a number of different marginalized groups who have felt the terror. I'm proud of you all. And I'm proud of Taylor, especially because, I mean, he's he's been a very big voice, not just on UW's campus, but I'm glad that he's exercising his rhetoric and actions um, with the L.A. Rams as well. Is there anything that you would like to end, any advice that you would give to student-athletes who may be in your position where you were at 21, 22, 23, younger folks, high school that you're trying to create a path for, or even folks that are in administration at the NFL level? Any advice that you would give to any of those folks in terms of activism and maybe amplifying their voice or you know, trying to create an initiative or something to further the cause of social justice? Yeah, I mean, you know, find your passion, find what makes you tick, find what makes you change, but don't act on your feelings, act on your education because your feelings will, your feelings and energy will run down. The more you educate yourself on the subject you're trying to change, that's the fuel you will need to continue to go down that path and continue to push that narrative forward and move that needle. You need to be informed about the causes that you are trying to, that you are trying to shift because knowledge is power. And as I get older and older, that's what I'm figuring out, that the more you know, the more informed, sustainable your efforts will be. Brother McClendon, I really appreciate your time. I know the students will as well. You've dropped a lot of knowledge on us. Appreciate you all, man. Thank you for joining today's class. If you learned from and like what you heard, please leave a review, give the class five stars, or make a donation through our Patreon. A link can be found in the show notes. Be sure to join our next conversation about Black athletes and mental health, 
with Leah the Sports Counselor.